When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Episode 185 of the Shock Shock Knicks podcast on the Posting and Toasting podcast network. As always, Sean St. Jacques, happy to be with you for another week of Knicks and NBA chatter. Hope you're all having a good week. Hope you're all doing well. Early days and weeks of 2023. Decent week for the Knicks. Again, another heartbreaker to look back on against Milwaukee. But other than that, two wins that I think the Knicks will be fine and happy with moving forward, going into a tough stretch where the upcoming, at least, the Knicks have four of the next six on the road. We're a month away from the NBA trade deadline. We have a little bit of news to talk about with that. That's going to start picking up over the next few episodes. So for everyone that loves to talk transactions and the NBA trade deadline, we'll be talking a lot about it, I feel like, over the next few weeks. Going to be very interesting to see who the movers and shakers will be. And there's some early indications to that that we'll get to at the end of the show today. So again, we record on the Thursday for the Friday. So hopefully uh, this can take you into what is hopefully a nice, pleasant weekend wherever you are however you are listening in it is much appreciated as always we start north of the border with the knicks and the raptors from earlier uh in the week between podcasts as always it's how we kind of do things around here uh, as i'm sure many know by this point and Life in Toronto for the Knicks has always been very, very rough. I, again, you, you know, the, the Raptors ended the Knicks' eight-game winning streak uh, earlier in, you know, I guess it was late in 2022, I really should say, but earlier this season with Pascal Siakam's 52 points. And, of course, he wasn't able to quite hit that mark in the rematch. This was a big game going into it. Obviously, it felt like a very big game when it tipped off. You know, the Knicks play the Raptors three times in just over two weeks. You know, about two or two and a half weeks stretch where these two teams play each other quite a bit. Actually, I think it's, no, yeah, I guess it would just be about, be about two and a half weeks, roughly, almost three weeks, uh, where these two teams play each other three times. And they play each other four times in a month, right, from December of 2021 when the Raptors won at the Garden to January 22nd, a Sunday where the Knicks returned to Toronto for the final game of their four-game season series. It's been very odd. I've mentioned this a couple of times. 
a little odd how the NBA's been doing their scheduling more recently. I think it's supposed to be more player and health friendly. But I will say for matchups, it's very odd that, you know, teams are playing each other this often, this quickly, but I'm sure it, it, you would think, I don't, I don't have nothing to back this up, to be honest, but my hypothesis would be that it is for a, a you know, a, a lighter travel schedule, you know, go to Toronto a couple of times, they come to New York a couple of times, but it's within the same, you know, month period, and then you don't have to do it anymore, and then there's, you would think, easier travel ahead although i will say and i haven't done this myself but from what i've been told new york to toronto not the worst but again you're going north of the border it can take a little bit out of you and again anytime there's a you know a country change a time zone change uh you're and people that travel a lot for work know this and you don't have to play 48 minutes of nba basketball on top of it um then it can be you know it wears you down it wears you down and it could impact you for, for a few days, depending on how far you travel. So it's a, you would hope that that's the reason they're doing it. It just seems very odd because normally the NBA spreads some of these games out a little bit more, especially games that are in the division. You know, those are very important games potentially, especially in a division like the Atlantic where everyone's in the mix for a playoff spot, especially the top four, and one of the reasons the Raptors are, are still sitting on the outside looking in or being in that real conversation is because the Knicks won the second game back on January 6th, day after the last podcast recording. 112-108, the final. Uh, it's always a dogfight in Toronto. Um, it was another story of the Knicks handling themselves well in the first half and, and feeling like they had control over the game. But then the second half came around the third quarter specifically, and it looked like the Raptors had gained all the momentum back. And it, frankly, I going into the fourth, I thought the Knicks were going to lose the game. I really did. I, I did not feel good about it, uh, especially coming off the heels of, you know, you, you look back to the Dallas game, right? Uh, you look back at uh, the San Antonio game, the Philly game, uh, and we'll get to the Milwaukee game in a second. You know, the Knicks, when they have first half leads, they tend to let them slip away against the better teams and the teams that they're competing against. But they held on at the end. And uh, I will say, you know, the last few games in particular, two guys have stood out to me. I know that, you know, Julius Randle had... 32 and 11 in this game. He always tends to put up big numbers. Um, Mitchell Robinson had a big game again, but the two guys that stood out and, and it's really the, the theme of these three games we're going to break down. Jalen Brunson has been phenomenal. These last three games in particular, we'll get to his unbelievable night against Milwaukee in a second, but I've, I've also found that Emmanuel quickly is really having a strong run at the moment. He's finally getting some consistency. And, you know, without R.J. Barrett in there, quickly has filled the role rather well at times during these last couple of weeks in the last three games in particular. Deuce McBride is doing his part as well, but in this game against Toronto in particular, 
quickly Grimes and Brunson along with the 32 from Randall carried the day and in a nice 10 and 18 rebound night very nice I should say from Mitchell Robinson was enough and again the Raptors you know this season at home they've been solid on the road they're normally pretty bad they had four players that had huge nights you have to match that when you're on the road in a division game that's going to matter in some regard at the end of the season. And, you know, again, Siakam didn't quite get 52 this time. He had 18 and and 13 rebounds. But then it, this time it was Fred Van Fleet, especially in the third quarter, went off, had, had 28 and made three out of nine from deep. And he's a really good free throw shooter as well. He was actually two rebounds and three assists shy of a triple-double. Had a great night. Gary Trent Jr., who's been playing very well, the former Duke product, he had 27. OG Ananobi was in double figures as well. And I I should say uh, Chris Boucher off the bench had nine points. So uh, I believe he's the former Oregon standout. So Toronto put up, as they always do, doesn't matter how uh, well-placed they are in the standings or not, they're going to give everybody a fight. Just ask the Bucks, and uh, in the end, the Knicks were, the, were able to hold on where <laughs> Milwaukee had to hold on in overtime after letting that lead slip away. So very, very big win at the time for the Knicks, who continue to be great on the road. Knicks are 12-8 and eight on the road this season. You will take that every day of the week. It's Again, it's been at home where the Knicks have been better this season. Give them credit. They've been better at home but they're at 500 at home you want to be above 500 on your home floor and and that gets me to the milwaukee game uh and i i was really uh what's the right word i was hopeful going into the game because and maybe it's the hope that kills you right especially with the knicks but i just remember thinking at the end of the toronto game they should have learned something from that. You hold on at the end of a tough game on the road against a team that's in your division, trying to get back into the race. And again, Milwaukee's a different animal, but the Knicks, especially through three quarters, you know, again, it was tight in the first quarter, tight in the third. Knicks had their way in, in quarter number two. But the Knicks had control of the game going into the fourth. They really did. And I, at one point in the game, Knicks had a 17-point lead. I believe I think that was the high mark in the game and once again you know you can kind of tell almost like with the Dallas game although it seemed more improbable with the Dallas result but the Milwaukee game you could you could see the moments you could see the moments where the momentum shifted Drew Holiday struggled in the first half he struggled in the third quarter he came to life in the fourth Brooke Lopez who struggled mightily at times in the first half, came to life in the fourth quarter, and Giannis only scored 22 points, and the Bucks still won the game. They came from 17 down to win 111-107. Another devastating, heart-wrenching loss. I mean, just one where you think, again, a chance to really make a statement, get a big-time win for your confidence, and get... Oh, uh, you know, continue another winning streak and Milwaukee shows that championship mentality that the Knicks just don't have uh, at the moment. 
the Knicks again. I, I I'll get to the Pacer game and why I was happy with that game in a second. But one of the reasons that the Milwaukee game was so hard to watch is because we've watched it happen seven or eight times this season, at least. I, I that that's all that I can think of off the top of my head. But at least seven or eight times, the Knicks have had a lead at the half that they let slip away in the third, or they have a lead after three that they let let slip away in the fourth. And a lot of times it happens in the final seconds, final minutes of the game. And that's exactly what happened in this game. And again, Milwaukee is a, a step above in the East. They are. And I saw a lot of people commenting and posting that they were happy that the Knicks even put up a fight in the game. And for me, I have higher expectations than that. I really do. I know RJ Barrett was not in the lineup. Jalen Brunson had a phenomenal performance. Emmanuel quickly was tremendous. Julius Randle, amazing. But one thing I pointed out, I wrote the recap for our website, posting and toasting.com. And by the way, the Knicks are now 0-3 against the Bucks. That's their last time playing Milwaukee this season the two at the garden have been heartbreakers this season both of them gut-wrenching losses but this this game came down to two things number one perimeter defense and and against the better teams for some reason the Knicks struggle guarding the three-point line late in the games I don't understand what that is coming down to but it happened again And, and true holiday Listen, one one or two of the shots he made were were pretty tough. But there was a couple. I mean, Brooke Lopez made a big three late in the game. He was wide open. Wide open. And I get it. He's seven feet tall. But, guys, the, the, the book's been out on Brooke Lopez for three years now. You've got to respect him as a three-point shooter. You've got to cover him there. Leaving him wide open is a huge mistake. But the Knicks made a bunch of those down the stretch. In some ways, it felt like the Dallas game a little bit, but it happened earlier in the game, not right at the end, because just simple, simple defensive mistakes that that let, you know, that kind of poked the door open, right? And in the NBA, that's all it takes. And the Bucs, again, they'll kill you. They'll absolutely kill you if, if, if you give them the chance. Second point, other than Randall, other than Brunson, who I think that was a career high, 44 points. He was off the charts. Good. Shot 50% from the field, made all 10 of his free throws. I mean, a masterpiece. I know it was in defeat, but it was a garden masterpiece from Jalen Brunson. Other than Brunson, Randall, and Quickly, who had 44, 25, and 23, respectively, they were all brilliant. Nobody else had more than four points. Quentin Grimes had four points. Mitchell Robinson had two. Obi Toppin, now again, coming off an injury, only played eight minutes. I get it. Three points. Not going not gonna to put that on him. 14 minutes from Miles McBride, three points. 15 minutes from Evan Fournier, three points. Isaiah Hartenstein had a really rough game really really rough he has not been playing as well over the last few weeks and again he he's had to play a lot of minutes so i i don't totally blame him 
uh, for that. You can't. It's it's a tough league when you're not used to playing a lot of minutes to go in and play 45 minutes a night. 40 or sorry, 45 is exaggerating, but you know, 35 to 42 minutes a night he'll play every once in a while. That's a lot for him. He doesn't always play those kind of minutes in this team. So that's a very tough ask from him. Maybe it's a fatigue thing, but in his 10 minutes, I mean, he didn't do anything right. Four rebounds and a, I think he had more missed shots from the field than than rebounds in the game. He struggled. He really, really struggled. The Knicks needed another player on the team to step up offensively. That's when you, you miss R.J. Barrett a little bit. Quentin Grimes, you know, has kind of been becoming the expected guy now to be that at the moment, right? Because Quickly's been great. So you're you're thinking, great, he's going to put in those minutes. But because Reddish is out of, the, out of favor, Derek Rose not playing right now, and you've chosen Hartenstein over Sims, who can give you some buckets every once in a while, but he's similar to Mitchell Robinson, where he's really out there for his defensive acumen. It really, in this case, came down to Quentin Grimes or maybe a McBride or Fournier hot night. It didn't happen. You know, so then you have to rely on your stars. And the Knicks still should have won the game. Still should have won the game. Despite the lack of depth scoring the basketball. Knicks still should have won the game. But it goes back to the Milwaukee, I should say the Dallas situation, where the Knicks cannot put the good teams away. They can't do it. They can't do it. For whatever reason, late in games, the Knicks give opponents opportunities to get back into the game. And again, Milwaukee, the last thing you want to do is to breathe life back into them. It's the last thing you want to do. So that brings me to the Indiana game, where it looked like it was going to happen again. It really did. The Knicks were dominant in the first half. Apps thoroughly thoroughly thrashed the Pacers in the first half. A team that is right there with them in the East. They're in lockstep right now. And the Knicks had a 21-point halftime lead. And again, I'll admit it. I'll admit this. And I really think at this point, there's no excuse for anyone not to feel this way. Right? At this point, we know too much to not be skeptical with a big lead. You have to be a little bit nervous now with the Knicks have a big lead. And I, and I was at halftime. I'm sitting watching the game and, and I'm thinking, how long is it going to take? Like how long can the Knicks hold on to this lead? And once again, Pacers are a solid team. They're going to be there towards the end for playoff positioning. And Buddy Heald gets them right back into the game in the third quarter. And the game flips. Matherin had 20. TJ McConnell, who's just a a pest, a guy that you would love to have him on your team, would hate to play against him. Buddy Heald, 31 points. He was, honestly, he was tremendous. Tyrese Halliburton, if he had a slightly better game, might may have been the X factor for, for Indiana. He had 15 at times. He was great at other times. He struggled. That's how he goes sometimes, but 
Boy, Indiana looked like they were going to do it, didn't they? they? They looked like they were going to do it and pull it off. But you give Jalen Brunson a lot of credit. His late game shooting came up big again for the Knicks. He finished with 34 points, had another tremendous night. Another, again, dare I say, uh, an MSG masterpiece from him. Hit some timely shots. He really did. But all five starters were in double figures for the Knicks. And you got a little bit of bench help. From Emmanuel quickly again, who's can again he continues to be productive. He's having some consistency now to his game. Six players in double figures, and Quentin Grimes ends up being the one in the latter stages that comes up with big shots. I'm telling you this right now. If RJ Barrett doesn't play and doesn't put up a big night, he had 27 points. The Knicks lose this game. They they let the lead slip. They lose the game but you had enough firepower left on the floor to win the game. The other thing, too, is Julius Randle had an off night. He really, really struggled. Had to settle for more threes. He took seven threes in the game. By the way, by the way, so did R.J. Barrett. I can't remember the last time, if any time, that R.J. Barrett has taken 12 threes in a game. That's a lot for him to take. That is a lot of threes for rj barrett to take in a game i think there's only one man in the nba where you'd say maybe two they play for the same team by the way where you look at a stat sheet and you'd say man 12 threes for steph curry clay thompson that seems low they're the only ones everyone else in the league go wow that's a lot of shots that's a lot of threes from rj barrett maybe damian lillard gets a gets a a pass there too but when I saw that after the game, I went, wow, that's a lot. He took he took more than I thought he did. I'll, I'll give him that. 12 threes, but he made four of them. Some of them were big, especially in the first half. Knicks hold on. Quentin Grimes came up with some huge plays down the stretch to help the Knicks wrap up a 119-113 win. And a couple of you guys said this in our on our live thread on postingandtoasting.com. It's what I felt at the end of the game, for what the Knicks have been put through this season and what they put themselves through at times this season with big leads and not being able to, to see them out, I, my whole thought was, well, they, you know what? They've, they held on. This time they held on. The Pacers are a good team. They're a competitive contender in the East. The Knicks held on. They did their part. They hold on for the win. And in the NBA, the way it's been going for the Knicks... Boy, will you take that. It is it is a big deal, you know. And the Knicks now at least, and this is this is big, why this game meant a lot. The Knicks have guaranteed themselves a regular season split with the Indiana Pacers. Bare minimum, because they play two more times. Both of them both of those games are in April. The fifth and the ninth. Late season games that are, that could matter a lot. Knicks have a two oh lead in the head to head. And when we're talking seeding, play-in or playoffs, 6-7 maybe between these two potentially, or who knows, right? Play-in, playoffs, whatever it is, you want the head-to-head your way. Knicks have the inside track on winning the head-to-head on Indiana, and they can't lose it. Worst they can do now is a split. That's a big deal. That's a big deal. That's why holding on to that one 
meant a lot for the Knicks, right? Because losing to losing one to Milwaukee like that, losing one to Dallas like that, it hurts a lot. It really does. But doing that against a team that you're contending with in the East or a division rival, those hurt a lot more because they directly impact the standings and tiebreakers towards the end of the season. So this one was big for the Knicks to get. And in the end, it ends up being a relatively successful week for the Knicks, at least, you know, from Thursday to Thursday here for for the podcast purposes of that. But now I'm thinking ahead, you know, because it's it's not going to be easy coming up for the next six are on the road. We'll see if the Knicks can can keep it going. Again, there's going to be opportunities out there for the Knicks to pick up some quality wins. We'll see if they'll be able to pull through. We'll take a break. We'll talk more Knicks. We'll talk some trade deadline coming up next on the Shock Shock Knicks podcast and on the Posting and Toasting podcast network. For the trade deadline stuff, I want to start with the Knicks and then kind of build our way out here. The first thing I want to touch upon before I get into the the latest Knicks news, the latest Knicks rumors, who the Knicks could be looking at, who other teams, uh, you know, other teams that could be buyers, sellers, all of that stuff. I, I want to touch on a few of those things before we get out of here for the week. Number one thing that, that I'm going to be looking out for, and it's something we've talked about before, so I'm just going to remind you of it. I'm not going to really go too deep into this part of it because, frankly... There's no new news on it. It's just whether or not the Knicks can get a deal done. Cam Reddish. You know, is Cam Reddish going to be on the move? Where is he going to go? What can the Knicks get for him? You know, obviously he's he's fallen out of favor. Tibbs reportedly didn't want him from the beginning. We've talked about all of this. So now what? <laughs> right? I mean, now what for Cam Reddish? Are they going to be able to get rid of him? Are they going to be able to uh, get him for something good? All of those things are now going to come up over the next few weeks. It's going to be a lot of things like that. So that's something to look out for right off the bat. No new news on it, but it's worth reiterating. Are the Knicks going to refresh and refresh the squad, if you will? Are they going to bring in new players? I mean, there's two Nick rumors I want to address that are interesting to look at one I I think is at least for me the way he's been playing of late was a foregone conclusion but one of the Knicks rumors that came out actually a few hours before the start of the podcast recording is that the Knicks are not looking to shop Emmanuel quickly and I mean how can you right now he's been playing so so well he's finally getting some consistent performances together and, and he's in red hot form right now it's as consistent of a strong play or strong consistent play uh, as we've seen as good of we as if i can talk as good as we've seen from him in in a year year and a half from manual quickly this is as good as he's played and as consistently well as he's played in a year and a half and according to snyz and begley the knicks are quote-unquote not actively seeking offers for Emmanuel quickly so that is probably you know, uh, expected, but there were teams out there, including the Bucks, the Mavericks, and the Wizards that had shown some interest in Emmanuel quickly. And Fred Katz of the Athletic on December 7th had reported that quickly was one of the Nick players most frequently uh, talked about 
in trade conversations. So now there are other reports that the Knicks are willing to. Uh, there, there were there were other reports earlier, you know, in the season back in December, that the Knicks were willing to package him with Evan Fournier to get rid of Evan Fournier's big contract, and he's owed. I think he's owed eighteen million this year. I don't have it in front of me, but I think he's owed $18 million this year and then $19 million next year, something like that. And that's a lot of money for a guy that's playing, well, at least recently, five, ten minutes a game, if that. You know, some, some games he's not playing at all. Some games he'll give you ten minutes. I mean, that's not what the Knicks brought in Evan Fournier to do. It's not what his early returns were last season, frankly. He was playing really well in a lot of big minutes, but then it faded as the, as the season went on, as the next season faded. So he has fallen out of favor now. And frankly, with the rise of Quentin Grimes and the good play of quickly, there's really not many minutes for Evan Fournier to work with right now. So, I mean, the last time I had a conversation with somebody about uh, Evan Fournier that wasn't on the podcast, someone just texted me a picture of a, outfit that he wore when he walked into msg and i was like oh boy not not the best thing to be hearing about i mean uh, not a bad thing to be you know fashionable walking into an nba arena i'm just saying you know we should be hearing about how well he's playing on the court and his performances and the last thing i've talked to somebody about with his performances with the knicks have been more along the lines of his of his uh fashion game walking into the arenas not great so yeah we'll see We'll see on that. I mean, that that'll again, Nick's refreshing the roster. I mean, throw in Derek Rose, by the way. On top of that, you throw in Derek Rose. I mean, that that could be another player the Knicks will try to move. As well, so uh, it'll be interesting. Uh, again, I I don't think the Knicks uh, are going to trade him this year. It'd be very shocking. I think at this point. But, you know, again, I, I think it'll be interesting going into next year whether or not the Knicks can, can go after another big star. Emmanuel Quickly's name is going to be thrown around. Make no mistake about that. That's a, you know, the long-term status of Emmanuel Quickly will be interesting. Short-term, you you got to play him. You've got to play him. And if he's not starting, you got to give him 20, 25 minutes off the bench. He's that he's that effective right now when he's going well you gotta play him so that's i and to be fair that's what the knicks have been doing recently so now what are the knicks gonna do as far as adding if they're letting some of these guys go one of the more recent reports or at least uh thoughts of speculations that the knicks could go after doug mcdermott of the san antonio spurs as well we're in the middle of a rebuild and have other you know, veteran players that multiple teams will be looking at. Jakob Pertl, the former Utah star, Josh Richardson, and Doug McDermott all kind of come to mind. McDermott is 31. And I think he earns about $13, $14 million next season. Something around that. So it that's going to be uh, an interesting one. Some have thrown out, you know, simulations and stuff like that and... There was other people that were speculating that maybe the Knicks could throw in a couple picks, maybe offload someone like Fournier or maybe even Derrick Rose in a potential trade to get somebody 
like Doug McDermott, who's a very good shooter, good 3 and D guy, can defend the perimeter rather well, a place the Knicks have been struggling with lately, and is pretty athletic, I must say as well. Somebody that starred at Creighton, uh, his dad was the coach, still is the coach for the Creighton Blue Jays, and I think a lot of people just thought he was going to be a good college player, maybe not impact in the NBA, but he's made an impact in the NBA. Has some height, has some size as well at 6'7", and I think this season he's averaging around 10.5 points per game in 20 minutes of action, shooting it at 42% from deep, and can defend. It's exactly... It's exactly what the Knicks need. He's Steve Novak, except he can actually play a little bit. Not just a good shooter. He can play in multiple positions, can defend the perimeter. He's athletic. No offense to Steve Novak, but he didn't really check off much of those boxes besides good shooter and discount double check. That's about it. So it'll be interesting to see what uh, the Knicks do. But that was when I was looking at articles and and a few uh notes from earlier in the day that's that's one that stood out to me I kind of felt like that would be a pretty good fit I think the Knicks do need a player like Doug McDermott if uh if they can get him and he also seems affordable as well not only with his contract but Knicks have Knicks have a few remember remember, Knicks have a few picks to work with here they have a couple of players they want to get rid of as well, Fournier will probably be the toughest to get rid of, although Derrick Rose's age and, and injury history also equally as tough, you could argue. But then you've got somebody like Cam Reddish, who people are going to want. And again, I, I would keep him. I'd play him. Tom Thibodeau's pat the, the ship has sailed as far as Tom Thibodeau and the Knicks are concerned. So fair, fair enough. But then you got to get something good back for him. You know, and, and to be fair, Knicks didn't, didn't have to give up a ton to get him. They got rid of Kevin Knox, who has just not been an impactful player for anybody in the NBA. And, and maybe it was one or two picks. It wasn't a lot that the Knicks had to give up to get him. Maybe it was, I think it was Cam, sorry, I think it was Kevin Knox and a pick to get Cam Reddish. So if you can get something better back, I think you'll take it at this point, especially because reportedly Tibbs didn't want him anyway. So if you can flip him for for something strong, I, I think that would, in the end, be a, a, a solid transaction for the Knicks. So that is something to look at as well. Now, before we get out of here, I do want to get into some teams that could be buyers and some teams that could be sellers at the trade deadline. This is always a very interesting discussion to have especially nowadays in the NBA where there are play-in positions to fight for so and again one of the reasons you have the play-in is so that there are less teams trying to tank right there are some teams because of injuries or whatever that find themselves in this position right if you had told me at the beginning of this season that the Charlotte Hornets were going to be sellers at the trade deadline and I still don't think they will be, but they're out of it. They're 20 games under 500. They've got the worst record in the East. And they've got the second worst record in the NBA. The only team that's worse is the Houston Rockets, who are who have become perennial, you know, sellers at the trade deadline. So you have teams like that, right? Where they're just gonna 
stick to where they're going. They're going to look for a lottery pick. They're going to keep tanking. There's really not much they can do about it, right? The Spurs currently find themselves in that position as well. But then there are the tweeners. The tweener teams, if you will. Where it's a little bit more of a difficult discussion. OKC in the West is a game and a half out of a play-in spot right now. Young players. And especially for them, they love a good old wheel and deal at the trade deadline. And in general, by the way, they love wheeling and dealing. Will they decide to freshen things up and and, uh, go, go back to the pick well again, the Sam Presti way, go back to the pick well, just keep getting picks. It really is remarkable what they do. But then you look at the Lakers, right? But they're a, t- they're a team that's going to have a tough time because they don't have a lot of wiggle room. Their big thing is they need Anthony Davis to be healthy. There's only a cup. There's only so much the Lakers can really do. But one team that has somewhat entered the tweener conversation all of a sudden are the Portland Trailblazers who have plummeted over the last couple of weeks. Portland at one point was in the top four in the West earlier this season. They now sit in 11th. They've lost eight of their last 10. They've lost four in a row. That crazy finish the other night where the Blazers had three chances at the end to hit the big shot. Damian Lillard didn't take any of them. He just looked dejected at the end of the game. I I think anybody watching that game back will tell you. Damian Lillard just looked, I mean, absolutely just bottomed out at the end of that game almost as if to say you know i think anthony simons took the last of the three attempts just saying man i can't rely on anybody i gotta i always have to do this myself no one else can come through for me in a big spot but that's the cards that portland was dealt this season they've overachieved in a lot of ways you know same with utah utah's in that kind of tweener mode as well they were supposed to be tanking that's what everyone thought you get rid of go bear you get rid of donovan mitchell mitchell's on to greener pastures the calves are what are they fifth or sixth sorry not fifth or sixth fourth or fifth in the east they're fifth right now in the east go bear goes to minnesota minnesota is tied with utah right now in the standings if you can believe that not looking so good right now for the Timberwolves who are kind of in that mode right now. Do we or don't we? Do we go for this or do we let it ride and see what happens next season? You know, very odd stuff. I mean, again, Phoenix is decimated by injuries. I wouldn't put them in this discussion. Golden State's got what they got. But Utah through OKC in the West, very interesting to see what happens with those teams at the trade deadline. Same, you know, then you look at the teams towards the top, right? Who goes for the, the missing piece, right? The guy that's going to get you over the top. Do the Pelicans look to get that, that last finishing touch? The Grizzlies, do they feel like they need to add one more piece? They've won eight in a row. Do they look to add? The Kings, do the Kings take a swing here and say, hey, we're in fourth, we're going for it. And do they make a big deal 
to try to get somebody in as well. One team I, I think that may need to do that are the Clippers. They're in that tweener spot right now. They're only a game out of the play-in right now. They're in sixth. Do they look around and they say, man, I don't know how much more we're going to get out of Kawhi. Paul George needs some help. Do we go all in and use that Balmer dollar here to get us a big time player? You know, Dallas has a little bit less wiggle room to work with. And Denver, I mean, I feel like Denver's pretty much set. I'm not sure what they could potentially add. I mean, you never know, but Denver looks like the best team in the NBA all of a sudden, the way they've been playing along with Memphis over the last couple of weeks. So that's always a fascinating debate. And the East is even more interesting. You know, Brooklyn has already come out. I mean, I should say reports have already come out that Brooklyn's going to be going for it at the trade deadline. They're going to be looking to add, as they should be. You look at from a basketball perspective, the Nets, you know, are right where they want to be. They're in the two seed, and they can look to add here and really try to put themselves over the top. Because you're trying to contend with the Bucks, who are on your heels. Boston is tremendous. Again, they've got the best record in the league. And Philly, not far off. I mean... I always expect Philly to do something at the trade deadline, but it always surprises me. It, I always feel surprised after the, the Sixers do something at the trade deadline. Cleveland and the Knicks are kind of stuck because they've already done their big things. The Knicks, again, will they'll try to refresh in the depth in, in their roster more than anything. They've gotten Jalen Brunson. The Knicks will make their big move, I think, during the offseason. For now, they'll look to get rid of Reddish, and if they can, Fournier, and maybe Rose, and you look to maybe get, again, we talked about a guy like Doug McDermott, and get some depth to maybe go on a playoff run. Same thing with Indiana. The, the the four intriguing teams for me in the East, and maybe five if you go a little bit further down, are Indiana. I, I beg your pardon. Indiana's kind of set. Miami. Atlanta is a really interesting one. Chicago as well. Toronto. And you could even chuck the Wizards in here. Bradley Beal's been in and out of the lineup. Chris Tapps, Porzingis, shocker. In and out of the lineup with injuries. What do you do with them? And then Chicago has three stars. Vucevic, DeRozan, and Levine. Are they waiting to get healthy or do they make a move? That's going to be interesting to see. Because they're holding on to the last play-in spot right now. And then Miami. Again, I never thought Miami would be in this position. They're rising a little bit at the moment. They've won six of the last ten. Had the great Jimmy Butler heroics against OKC the other night. Nationally televised game. A lot of eyeballs on it. They came up with a big win. It's a confidence booster. Do the Miami Heat think that this is not a good enough season to go for? Do they look to maybe sell? Maybe not. You know, Miami tends to let it ride. And they make big moves during the offseason. But for me, the two most fat i mean again toronto is an interesting one too right they're in the playing hunt but they're not going anywhere do they look to offload a piece or two probably not but the two that really stand out here are chicago which we just highlighted three stars but again is this the best it's going to be with this group last year you got to the six seed but you underachieved and you got eliminated early from the postseason and this year you might not even have a 
a home playoff game if it stays like this. They, they might be in the in play in purgatory, and not get out. They're they're still four games under five hundred, trying to fend off the Raptors and the Wiz Kids right now. The the team though that for me is going to be fascinating to see what happens here are the Hawks. For me, the next month for the Hawks is the most important month of their season. If we are sitting here before the trade deadline, which I think is February 9th, somewhere around there, just before the All-Star break, if we're sitting there then and the Hawks are still ninth in the East after they just signed DeJounte Murray this offseason, I don't know what they're going to do. I really don't. The Hawks are so capable of going on a run that they're the toughest one to make a decision on, right? Because you can always think, but it's but if we hit the right notes here, if we get a spark, we could figure it out. But if they don't, it's still a young team, but they've, they have, they've already lost a couple pieces. You did sign Murray, but then what? Because if Atlanta ends up again in the play-in, you start to wonder about the next few years and what it's going to look like. And would Trey Young consider leaving? Which is crazy to think about considering, what was it, two years ago, right? You're in the Eastern Conference Finals. And this, you know, and since then, they've struggled to make the playoffs. Like, it's remarkable. I think a lot of people back then would have thought it's, it's up, up, up and away for Atlanta. They just need to add a couple pieces and they're off and they just have slowly declined. Frankly, it's been a little surprising to watch. It really has been. But once again, for me, if if you're saying, Sean, name a team to watch at the trade deadline. For me, it's the Hawks. It's it's the Atlanta Hawks. What are they going to do? Because also they're the, they're a fun team in that in this regard as well. Whether they do something or not, it's going to be interesting. If you do something, it's like, oh, what are they going to do? What are they? How are they going to improve the team? What are they going to do? Are they going to offload? What are they going to do? And then if they don't do something, it's like, oh, well, now what? Now what are they going to? Like, are they going to just rely on getting hot at the end? Like, what are they going to? They're they're fascinating because no matter what happens with them. There's a story to look out for. It's it's fascinating. They're they're a team. They're certainly the team in the East to look at during the trade deadline. But I think in the NBA, you pick one team that's not your team to watch at the trade deadline. It's the Hawks. No question about that. That's going to do it for this week's episode of the Shock Shock Knicks podcast. Thank you all so much as always for listening to the show. You know how much it means to me. That has never wavered. You've never wavered. You keep listening to the show. It means a lot to me. So until next time, have a great week. Love you. And I'll see you all next time. I'll hear from you all next time on the Shock Shock Knicks podcast on the Posting and Toasting Podcast Network.